Hello and welcome to Longevity Now, the place for all your news and views of life extension from around the world. I'm getting old. I can feel it. And I don't like it. I've been working as an advocate for rejuvenation research for a long time now, always hoping to see progress. So it's that time of year again to talk with Aubrey de Grey to see how the SENS research platform is progressing. And I would like to welcome to the Longevity Now podcast a familiar guest we've had on a few times before, Aubrey de Grey. Hi there, Justin. Thanks for having me again. Well, start out. I don't want to start out on a bad note, but that's what I'm going to do. <laughs> I'm disappointed. Not in the SENS Foundation, not in Methuselah Foundation. You guys, uh, your research efforts have been fabulous, have been spectacular with less than adequate funding. It's been amazing. However, I've been in the advocacy business for 15 years now. Just the other day, I was thinking back uh, and couldn't believe how long it has been. And I'm starting to feel age on my bones, as some people might say. And I've been working at it, talking at the same brick wall for 15 years. And it still seems as though progress is suboptimal, not only research progress, but also just getting the word out. I talk to interns quite often, like interns that come to the SENS Research Center and uh, to i and other places like that. And I ask them, at university, are some of your other college mates talking about rejuvenation at all? And they just say, no. And I can't believe that the word is not getting out more. How would you characterize your perception of progress uh, over the last 15 years? Well, on the one hand, of course, you're right. But on the other hand, well, perhaps I'm just a glass half full kind of guy. I, um, I see constant progress. And the progress, to my, in my view, is definitely accelerating. The past maybe two years have seen more progress in the improvement in that kind of characteristic and getting the word out and the seriousness with which the whole thing is taken, more progress than the previous 10 years, I would say. Um, so what do I mean by that? Well, there's a whole bunch of things. First of all, there's the fact that we have started getting projects to the point where we can spin them out into the private sector, which is something that, of course, attracts funding from new sources. Then there's the fact that I'm getting invitations, speaking invitations and interview invitations from sectors that really ought to care about this a lot. So, for example, I speak constantly now to actuaries and um, life insurance and health insurance and pensions people. And it's very clear that I'm not just being brought in for you know entertainment value the way I might have been a decade ago, that these people really understand that they need to understand what's going to happen and how to plan for it. And beyond that, I think I'm seeing a lot of change in the way that biologists and medics are thinking about this. The first thing that's definitely happened within the gerontology academic community is that the whole concept of damage repair has now risen to a total level of orthodoxy, whereas, of course, it was really heretical a decade ago, and I had to you know, be involved in a lot of, a lot of fights. Um, now, you know, it's being people are reinventing it and pretending it's their own idea, which is kind of what you want, really. So I'm pretty happy about that. And to top it off, here's an example of something that happened that I came across just yesterday. 
a very well-respected medical professional named Tom Lee, who some years ago started a quite high-profile outfit called One Medical, was giving a talk at some event not long ago, which went on YouTube or Vimeo or whatever the other day. And it was essentially a complete root and branch rendition with attribution this time of, um, of what I say, not only about the idea of damage repair, but all the way through to longevity, escape velocity, you know, and I've never met the guy. He it was entirely independent. So, I mean, it's a massive shock, really. It's, it, it means that really the word is getting out and being understood by people who know what they're talking about. That's very good. Now, you did mention private sector investment, some of the SENS platform technologies getting licensed in the private sector. Could you give us an update? I'm aware of at least two companies that have licensed your portfolio so far. Could you give us an update on i and um, human rejuvenation or regeneration? And then sure. if any of the other SENS platform technologies have any interest? Yes, sure. I'll go through the, the list as it currently stands. So, yes, human regenerative biotechnology, which I think is what it's called now. They've changed their name once or twice. That was the first one. That happened a couple of years ago now. Uh, one of our major donors, a guy named Jason Hope from Scottsdale, Arizona, decided that our atherosclerosis work, which we've been funding since about 2005 or six at Rice University, had reached a sufficient level of proof of concept that it was worth taking private. This is, of course, our attempt to put bacterial genes into human cells to augment their ability to break things down, therefore to protect themselves against things that would otherwise become toxic, in this case, oxidized cholesterol. So that's moving forward now. Um, the guy, you know, the downside for us was that he stopped giving us money. But the upside, of course, is that he's put quite a lot of money into starting up this company, not only hiring main researcher Jack Matthew from Rice, but also hiring a bunch of other people. And so it's pretty good news. And we haven't had as much contact with them since that time as I would have hoped. But I'm looking to change that fairly soon, maybe even license back some of the technology so as to share the workload, depending on how things go. So that's all good. Then the second one is ICOR, which is, of course, familiar to people at Longevity. ICOR is headed up by Kelsey Moody, one of my main, most dynamic protégés, I would say, who came to us and started our academic initiative back about 2008, and who then went and worked for John Schlerndorn at Immune Path for a while, and then came back to us and kick-started our project looking at ALT, the telomerase-independent telomere elongation mechanism which is still uh, thriving here at, at our research center. And then, of course, he went off and started this company. The company started off looking at stem cells, but now its main activity is something that we essentially spun out into ICOR, which was our work on macular degeneration. Uh, that, again, is one of these um, uh, areas where we want to find foreign genes that we can put into human cells to allow them to break stuff down. In this case, not cholesterol, but a derivative of vitamin A that is the main driver of macular degeneration. And that, again, is going really well, uh, not only in, at the bench, but also in terms of Kelsey's success in bringing money in the door. So I'm really, really happy about that. Then another example is a company named Covalent Biosciences. So this is a company started by the professor at UT Houston that we've been funding for the last few years to look at amyloidosis. Amyloidosis, of course, is the formation of amyloid. This is the, it comes under the category of extracellular garbage. And rather than introducing foreign genes, the goal here is simply to activate the immune system 
to eliminate this stuff. This has been um, used very successfully in the case of Alzheimer's amyloid, and we haven't done anything in that area because other people have been doing it instead, and it's already been through clinical trials, and it works. The people in Texas that we've been funding have a bit of a twist on that where they use a special type of antibody. So most antibodies might cause macrophages to engulf stuff in the extracellular space, like bacteria or in that case amyloid. What this guy's group do is they have a special type of antibody that actually chops up their target antigen. It's proteolytic. So they started out working on Alzheimer's amyloid, and that's where they made this company. But they've now spun, we've now, we've now been able to work with them so that the technology for the kind of amyloidosis that we're interested in, which is in the heart and seems to be the number one killer of supercentenarians and possibly younger people too, we've spun that out into that same company. So that's again being um, funded through the private sector now, which is all very good news. Uh, then there's a couple more examples which are a little bit more tangential. The first one is a company named Ocean, which is actually spelled O-I-S-I-N. It's a Celtic word. And this, has been start, this is now headed up by a longtime friend and donor to us named Gary Hudson. And the main scientific brains behind the company is a guy named Matt Schultz, who's also quite well known in our community because he was one of the first recipients of Breakout Labs funding from the Teal Foundation for his other company, Immusoft. But Ocean is interested in getting rid of senescent cells, death-resistant cells. This is, of course, a very high-profile area right now with the company Unity, which has been created based on uh, work done both at the Buck Institute and at the Mayo Clinic. Uh, Unity are looking for small molecules for drugs that will selectively kill senescent cells. And that's all very promising, and maybe it'll succeed, but it's always quite tricky to find small molecules that don't have unacceptable side effects. So the approach that Ocean are taking is genetic. It's to use what basically is called suicide gene therapy, which is a routine technique in the laboratory, um, and it needs to be improved in order to work in the clinic. But the idea is to introduce a gene into cells, which is activated only when those cells get into a state where you'd like to kill them. And the gene, therefore, is a gene that does kill them. It's a, it's a gene which expresses a protein that's toxic. So that's what these people are, are pursuing. And this is an idea that we put forward many years ago, and we've been wanting to work on it. In this case, therefore, it's not strictly a spin out in the, in, in the normal sense, because we haven't actually got technology that we have given them. They're developing it from scratch, but they're obviously very closely associated with us. Uh, how about the Spiegel Lab? I remember they uh, created glucosapine analog last year. And right. has that gone anywhere? Have they been able to advance research in that direction or hook up Very with much. anyone else? Very much, yes. So the success that the Spiegel Lab had in developing a way to synthesize glucosapine has had very much the impact that we expected it to have. In other words, it has allowed that lab to get to work on doing all the things that, all the obvious things that one needed a lot of stuff in order to do. So whether it's raising antibodies to the stuff or whether it's finding bacteria that can eat it, all of those things are now very much in, uh, in progress at full steam in the Spiegel lab right now. And then I was wondering, we were talking about the licensing a lot of this technology and would a successful in vivo trial really spur more investment? I mean, would there be an avalanche, say, uh, the macular degeneration, say, if next year ICOR comes out and they have a phase two trial started and it's successful, do you think that would really uh, generate a lot more interest? 
I've kind of moved away from the view that there's going to be a really sharp tipping, tipping point in terms of funding. Okay. I still think that there will very much be a sharp tipping point later on in terms of public, general public expectation of what's going to happen to ageing. I think that will happen only when we have very much more comprehensive, broad-ranging results where we take middle-aged mice and you know, double their remaining lifespan or whatever. Uh, but in the nearer term, I don't think there's going to be a single like you know, sharp tipping point. I think what's going to happen is that every little incremental success, whether even if it's really early stage, will incrementally broaden the, the number of people who are sufficiently visionary and sufficiently you know, scientifically educated and sufficiently um, you know interested uh, that they will decide okay that's sufficient for me to uh, get involved all of these things whether it's the fact that something is in the private sector so that it's an investment rather than a donation or whether it's the fact that something has been published in a high-profile journal or you know whether it's something that you know someone else has got involved therefore I will get involved all of those things you know that they, they incrementally change people's attitudes and that's fine speaking of uh, changes in attitude. I did notice a significant investment in, say, anti-aging research recently. Facebook, uh, Mark Zuckerberg, uh, what was the number, $3 billion or something? He was going to set up a foundation to support anti-aging research. Uh, have you heard anything about that? Is uh, SENS able to uh, reach that type of uh, funding source in order to get more? The first thing I want to do is make sure you understand that, they, that Zuckerberg did not say anything about aging. Okay. He said that he, wanted, he, and, he and his wife wanted to spend this $3 billion to eliminate all disease by the end of the century. Okay, um, so it's really not very um, you know, per pertinent yet, but it could be. Um, and certainly, you know, it is a source of frustration to me that I have yet to meet Mark Zuckerberg or even have any contact with him uh, because I do believe that he is in a position to make a huge difference and that uh, he could be persuaded. I have now got a bit of um, leverage towards, towards that happening. There are a couple of people I know who are going to try to make that connection happen soon, but it hasn't happened yet. Okay, to close things up then, I want to get back to the... Uh my 15 years of disappointment, which, you know, I know there's been progress, uh, of course. Uh, in your time uh, working on this, uh, have you any suggestions for any changes in strategy for fundraising or outreach? Is there something that you've noticed that has worked better or worse over the last couple of years, something to give other advocates uh, uh, an idea of how to move forward? I, I would not say that I think there's been a change of strategy. The main thing that I've changed over the past decade or more is I have become more and more aggressive in essentially preempting and knocking down the reasons I have come across why people tend to shy away from this. Um, for example, you know, starting out by very aggressively saying that we don't work on longevity that we work on health and longevity as a side effect. You know, 10 years ago, I wouldn't, have been, I wouldn't have been saying that because it was so obvious and I couldn't, it hadn't occurred to me that it was necessary to say it so, so loud. Whereas, you know, over the years, I've begun to find that that works better. Things like that. 
However, I think really the main answer to your question is sheer volume and variety of advocacy. In other words, you know, I'm very good at what I do, but I only do what I do. I have a particular way of saying things. I have a particular audience that is receptive to how I say things. And there are other people who are just not receptive, who are put off by the way I look or whatever. And therefore, we just need more advocates, more people who are sufficiently knowledgeable and sufficiently articulate to be able to go out there and say the same thing in their own voice, in their own way, with their own authority. So this thing that I came across yesterday, this guy Tom Lee, is, to my mind, a huge step forward. He's a very well-respected guy. He says things differently than I do. He's got a, he's got different kind of authority, you know, but he says exactly what I say. So, you know, this is what we need. We need a thousand Tom Lees. Well, it's great to end on a positive note. Thank you once again, Aubrey, for joining us on the Longevity Now podcast. My pleasure. Thank you, Justin. It seems I always say this at the end of the podcast. It is so great to hear from researchers who are making progress in the field. Remember that funding is a key ingredient in all of that progress. Don't forget the SENS Foundation in your year-end charitable giving. They could always use a few extra dollars. Until next time, I'm Justin Lowe.